so disappointed in myself when I can't get the perfect bead right down the middle of the glass. <laughs> I feel yeah. like such a failure. I, I know, I, I don't even, I honestly don't even worry about it when it comes to um, what we're drinking today. I know we're supposed to be very meticulous about how things are presented and the elegance of, surprise, surprise, sparkling wine. I have a hard time actually savoring sparkling wine because I typically drink it like a shot. And um, I'm going to try my best not to do that because it is still daytime. I won't judge you. <laughs> I won't judge you. So this is no such thing. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is a little bit of Duke Ellington, the Duke, who is, um, I would say, one of the most important musicians in American history. You know, way back when this country was formed and uh, when we started developing our art and culture during the 19th century, the Brahmin of Harvard Yard would get together and they would try to figure out who is going to be our great musician, who's going to be our Mozart, our Paganini, our Beethoven. And never in their wildest dreams would they have thought that it would have been this kid from Harlem, uh, Duke Ellington, who was an amazing piano player and um, you know, part of the, the Harlem Renaissance, uh, was conductor of the Cotton Club. And to me, that just makes me think of not just sparkling wine, but celebration and New Year's Eve. And apparently, well, so when this, is, when this airs, it will actually be on the solstice. So happy solstice, everyone. Um, and it made me think, why do we pick January 1st to celebrate? What's the correlation? Because the solstice is the longest night. The um, summer solstice is the longest day. The equinox is when everything is half and half. And uh, I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about that stuff and then you know, really talk about the celebration of sparkling wine and why, it's, why we love it so much beyond champagne. This is why we need you for this podcast, because my motivation for doing this is I just wanted to open bubbles, which would not have filled a lot of content. That would have just been me drinking on video for an extended period of time. You know, there's an audience for everything. <laughs> there's an audience for everything. So. You think there are people who want to watch me drink bubbles? I think, I think Ryan's mom would. <laughs> yes, Ryan's mom. <laughs> awesome. So, um, so I thought, yeah, sparkling wine, bubbles, celebration, you know, the history is pretty old. And um, I'm actually going to do a quick introduction. Adam usually does the introduction, but I figured I was just about to go in this, this story about the Babylonians. And I thought that maybe we should introduce, actually, Adam is back. So do you want to introduce? Sure. You know, um... you're better at it than I am. Well, I just, I'm better at remembering, and that, that's that's all. So I'm Adam Cataldo, he's Manny Gonzalez. This is Bottom of the Bottle. As you know, we, we walk through the, the wonders of wine, two bottles at a time. He's got one, I got one, we, we chat about it. This is gonna be a little different. No, we, 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 we have been different the last few times, I guess, is we haven't focused as much on a particular region or varietal. We've, you know, we, we've talked about wine and food. Today we're talking about celebrations and uh, celebratory wine what that means uh not just kind of what you sh what you should in air quotes be drinking when you're celebrating uh spoiler alert the answer is whatever you want uh but more so how wine i guess is is tied to celebrations and why we view things in certain ways and uh you know what makes it special did i miss something I think I think that's I think that that's pretty much we can wrap the show up. I think that was pretty much everything. Yeah, no, absolutely Good night, right. Everybody. And, <laughs> um, no, it's you know sparkling wine, and, well, in particular, but but you know wine in, in terms of celebration. But if you think about the kind of history of sparkling wine, and we've gone over this with champagne, 
um, you know, the wines of Champagne were used to celebrate the coronation of kings in France from Clovis, I think, all the way up to um, Napoleon when he was coronated as emperor. And, you know, the wines ended up at some point, it took a long time to get there, ended up being the sparkling wines that we, that we know today. Um, what, so just before we kind of get lost in, in um, a whirlwind, what are you drinking today? Because right, you're not drinking champagne. I'm, I'm not, uh, surprisingly, and I'm not drinking rosé either, you know, just trying to expand my horizons. I am drinking uh, Jean-Luc Belair's Lux from France. Uh, this is a really interesting, fun wine uh, where, so it's a, it's a Blanc de Blanc. It's actually 100% Chardonnay, uh, and it's from Burgundy. Uh, so this is a family that goes back several generations in, in, in making wine. They have a lot of connections. They wanted, this is, this is full disclosure, uh, this is not made like champagne. This is made like Prosecco. This is a Charmat method wine. And it is also uh, classified as demi-sec. So when we went over the, at one point, the different levels of sweetness, the international kind of sweetness scale for sparkling wine, demi-sec is on the sweeter side. And they wanted to make the kind of best expression of a slightly sweet um, sparkle they could. And they were like, well, where can we get the best grapes for this? And they said, oh, you know, white burgundy, you know, where, where we're not going to get champagne grapes because then it's going to be ludicrously expensive. So where, where can we get grapes to make this, you know, kind of pretty fun uh, sparkle with a hint of sweetness? And they, they went to burgundy. So it is a, it's essentially a slightly sweet Blanc de Blanc from, from burgundy. It's, it's fun. It's pretty, it's vibrant, it's floral. You get all sorts of it, it's really popular, actually. It's it's growing in popularity in the not just throughout America, but throughout the world. Uh, and this is one of their more popular offerings. And it's, you can see why as you, you taste. It's got a lot going on for for what it is. When I'm kind of biased this way, and I think a lot of people can be. When you see a a white bottle with gold foil on it, they all right. So they spent all the money in the package, and there's nothing good on on the inside. They're they're what are they trying to hide with that opaque bottle? And that that's not the case. So this is actually really pretty. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that, I always find those wines. I think they're great sold for wines because they're they're also fun. And you know, I love great champagne. I love the minerality. I love the biscuity quality. I love the complexity. But quite honestly, at twelve o'clock on New Year's Eve. I really don't need or should have another glass of wine. So why in the world would I crack open up, uh, crack open a really beautiful bottle of champagne? Um, for me, it should be fun and energetic and vibrant. And so I kind of went the same route you did. It is also Shermont method. And we'll talk about in the set. Um, I did do rosé, so we had some continuity. So, but we did a little flip here. And this is the LVE. It stands for Legend. Vineyard exclusive, and this is uh, French sparkling, so it's not coming from one specific region like uh, Burgundy or like Provence or Champagne. This is uh, kind of a hodgepodge of southern France, a little bit of Loire as well, utilizing um, uh, just red grapes to make this. And uh, this is a collaboration with Jean Claude Boisset, um, whose family is kind of royalty. We actually are going to in a couple of weeks have him on our show, which is going to be hella fun. And uh, he's kind of the James Bond of wine um, and John Legend, um, who is, you know, a philanthropist, amazing musician, all around nice dude, uh, voice, uh, or judge on the voice. And um, I, apparently when he was finding that a lot of his fans liked to listen to his music, drinking wine, and so he decided he wanted to create a label. And so he uh, partnered with um, Jean-Claude Bosset. And what I love about the wine is that it's super delicious. It is super fun. It is, it has some nice fruit complexity, but it's not minerally complex like you do with champagne. And I think it also works with a broader scope of tasters. 
because champagne is not for everybody. Uh, if you think almost like Prosecco, stylistically, it's going to be uh, a little similar where it's about the kind of fruit nature to it rather than high intense acid and minerals and a chalky mouthfeel, which for some people can be off-putting, obviously not for us. Um, and that's the beauty of champagne. And this is really kind of a song for everybody, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it, it's what's cool about his project too is from at least from what I understand, and this could have just been total propaganda, but I totally bought it. Is he's it like invested personally, like he's calling people, he wants to know what where they're sourcing stuff from, stylistically what they're doing. He wants to be involved in the process, so it's not your typical. And typical is another wrong word too, but it's not just some celebrity endorsement where he went to someone and said, hey, can you slap my name on a bottle of wine so I can sell something? He's actually really invested in the in the production and what comes out because his name's on it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a pretty awesome one. And um, so I, maybe we should talk about Shermat a little bit because we've talked about the champagne method. Um, apparently, I've offended the world that uh, when I said that the champagne method was created in England. Just when they forgot about it, you had to bring yeah, it. I know, I know. Man. Um, which, you know, is not true. Champagne was a process that really took centuries to create, um, not just in terms of geology and plate tectonics and, and what created the terroir millions of years ago, but also, you know, that process to get that dry style brut uh, champagne wasn't created overnight. You know, and uh, there were a lot of different people that helped develop that process, you know, from the monks of Lamu, who were the first ones to supposedly capture the bubbles in the bottle, although Pliny the Elder wrote about the frothy wines of Lambrusco, you know, back in the second century, whatever it was, um, and in Champagne itself, because you have that cool climate, it's hard for things to grow, uh, the grapes never fully fermented because it was so cold. When they thought fermentation was done, the grapes were asleep and would end up waking up in the bottle and create the bubbles. But that uh, the riddling process was created by Madame Clicquot from Vu Clicquot. The uh, first brute champagne or dry champagne was created by Perry Jouet in the 19th century. And the, what they call uh, liquor triage, which is when you're putting in yeast and sugar into that bottle, that was created by the British, you know, because they were actually adding molasses to it. But uh, the Charmat method is kind of the same idea done very fast in tank. And because there's not a lot of time in the tank, you're talking a matter of weeks, not a matter of years. Yeah. You don't get that intense yeast uh, biscuity quality. And that's what makes things like Prosecco so enjoyable. You take a nice fruity grape like Lara, and uh, you just make a really fun, fruity, enjoyable wine. And not all of them are just super simple either. I mean, uh, Villa Sandy has a wine called Cartice. It's a single vineyard. Um, and it is actually, I found it the most expensive land in, uh, I was gonna say Burgundy, in Italy for vineyards is Cartice. It's more expensive than Barolo. Um, and the wines are just beautiful. And I mean, you're looking probably like a $40 bottle of Prosecco, but it's definitely worth worth a go. I mean, mine is probably like a $15, $17 bottle of wine. Um, and it's super delicious and really, really fun. What What's cool with Charmant, and I actually, the timing is big, right? You don't have to, to wait as long to release the, the product, which is why, one of the reasons why champagne is so expensive, right? Traditional champagne. You, if you guys remember from the champagne podcast, which I know you all listened to, back when Manny and I were really bad at this, you have to wait at least 15 months before you release that bottle to legally call it champagne. And a lot of producers wait longer than that because the wine's not ready. It's so cold in champagne, those wines are so acidic that until the wine kind of gets fully integrated and calms down, it, it's it, you can't drink it right away. You kind of need everything to meld together and soften and, and, and work well. And most of the places where we're doing Charmat method, it's warmer. I mean, uh, most wine growing regions are gonna be warmer than Champagne to begin with. So 
that's an overgeneralized statement, but I, I think it fits. And you don't have that overwhelming acidity that needs to needs that time to integrate. So you can release it sooner. You do get those fresher, fruitier, vibrant flavors. And you know, it's they're they're just fun, right? Like it's the we love champagne, but champagne can be very serious. Um, and you don't, you know, forget, you know, 12 o'clock on New Year's. If you want to have a glass of bubbles on Tuesday, do, do you want it to be serious? You might have just spent an entire day being serious working. Like, what do you want, right? And Charmant Method wines, they're fresh, they're vibrant, they're fruit forward. You can do a lot with them with cocktails. It's just, it, it, they're, they're fun wines and again the the sometimes i think that the we look at the price tag and go well you know champagne is 50 bucks and prosecco is 15 bucks so champagne must be must be better or must be higher quality or whatnot and in some cases that's true sure but that's a, that, that that can be true across anything uh, I, it's not, it, it's, it's the production method. It's the time you have to wait. It, it's the, the, the land it's coming from. There's so many other factors that go into it and the actual, you know, what am I going to enjoy more in the bottle? Cause based on what people are drinking, people like Prosecco, it's, it's, it's yeah. on fire. Prosecco to the roof. Yeah. And it's, and it's hella good. I mean, it's, 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 it just, it just shows that you can have wines that are straightforward, that are direct, that are fun. And once again, you know, celebrating at our first celebration. And um, so I want to kind of do, you know, talk a little, a little history because, you know, first of all, why do we celebrate New Year's anyways? And, and you know, where it's, where did that legacy start? And I mean, there's evidence of like the Babylonians 4,000 years ago that they would, uh, during the first full moon of the vernal equinox, which is basically when you know, the days and nights were the same length. That's what they considered the new year. And uh, they had this celebration called um, Akitu, which was basically a Sumerian word for barley, because that's when they would harvest the barley in the spring. And that also correlated with production of beer, you know. So, you know, there's, um, I feel like I should have, rehearsed a little bit <laughs> how dare you sir no but i mean like even from the very beginning i mean there, there was always you know drinking involved with with celebration maybe it's because you know throughout our history and, and still to this day people work really hard constantly and you know you have that one day where you're going from you know what was in the past what we consider in the new although my bills don't go away january 1st i wish they did um you know it's a great way to kind of forget about you know maybe some of the crap that you had to go through the, the year before and um and to look hopeful i mean even so like january comes from the word janus which was um a roman god of doorways basically so he had one face in the back of his head, one face in the front of his head. And it was Julius Caesar that actually decided that January was going to be the New Year's. Um, and when they when he created the, the uh, Julian calendar, which later became the Gregorian calendar, and then they actually changed New Year's, the back to March, the Catholic Church did, um, in what was called the, the Festival of Annunciation, basically the conception. Um, marking the nine months before the birth of Christ, December 25th. And so March 25th was a celebration. I'm not sure if they knew, knew back then how gestation worked, and that's not how you decide. You can't decide or figure out when a baby was conceived based off of the day they were born. Um, my children are not that, that accurate, so I don't know about yours. But and then finally, 1582, Pope Gregory XIII changed back to January. And when they did that, it's really funny, because they never had the timing quite right. So apparently, uh, with the Gregorian calendar, we would lose a day every 314 years. And so in right around the same time, in 1582, they actually just, we were 10 days over somehow we were 10 days off and so they just got rid of 10 days 
<laughs> those 10 days, those 10 days are gone. Um, and still to this day, our calendar is not perfect. I think we lose a day every 3,000 years, apparently. Do we know on what timetable that we're going to lose that next day? Will we will we be around for that so we can you know? You said like as as a moment as a, as a PTO as a as a sick day like we all right. we should all just get an extra day, you know we can make that day up. <laughs> World's PTO day. But I mean I think it's it's funny that that um, how we we determine when we celebrate. I mean you know, with the Chinese calendar, it's a second new moon after the. Um, after the solstice, you know, and like it, it may seem in some ways like an arbitrary number, but yeah, I don't know. There you go. I mean, this, this I mean, we're going into much deeper philosophical conversations now, but this, it's always, it's always interesting to discuss whether these systems that we express through either through language and mathematics for all intents and purposes um do these things reside external from our conscious mind right like so does the does are we looking for patterns in the moon that would be there if we weren't there right and, and so on or are we or are we attributing certain characteristics to what goes on? Or are they there? In some cases, like we can say that yes, they are. Like, you know, there's patterns to when the moon rises and wanes and waxes and all that stuff. We can that that's fairly demonstrable that that's there. But the way that we talk about them, are those is that the actual expression, or is there something deeper than that? And this is the perfect example. Like the calendar's a day off, and every three thousand years we 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 lose a day. Well, so is our metric for measuring time in that way? accurate or is it just the best way that we know how to explain it yeah or or it's a, we're just stubborn so we don't so one reason why um why we were off so much was that there was so the the jewish calendar went by the moon cycle and obviously the romans couldn't have that they had to they had to be their own kind of thing or the the um the roman catholic church and so they just completely ignored the calendar that honestly not just not just the jewish culture but people for centuries have been using because it didn't fall in line with with not even religious beliefs but but ultimately political beliefs and and um and ethnic beliefs so they just got rid of it <laughs> it just didn't exist you know and then i'm i'm so confused by the leap year I, it, to me it just doesn't make any sense like, there's no scientist on this uh, on this podcast. I don't know don't, uh, if you're asking me that question. I have nothing for you. Well, like like Tony Robbins, for example, the motivational speaker. He was born on a leap year, and he's what was 1960s. So that would make him now like 50 years old. But is he only what's 50 divided by four? I can't even think. Like 12, he's 13, he's 12 yeah. and a half. Yeah, <laughs> he's 12 and a half years old. Can he get a beer? Can he legally listen to our podcast if he's underage? You know, these all these all these questions that 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 we should we should answer. It it, it is the it's so. I mean, there's so many of these things that you can do with the calendar and back and forth and why things are when they are and why they're positioned and and so on. Um, but the the one. Again, the, the constant to kind of bring it back around before we get way too philosophical on this podcast, which is not why anyone is here. <laughs> uh, the the one constant is to, no, no matter when people were debating, you put this holiday, that holiday, this new year, that or whatnot. Alcohol was always involved, and that's yeah. the, it's interestingly enough, it, it's it's this constant throughout. Is that you know should New Year's be January first or should it be the Chinese New Year. I don't know. Either way, what are we drinking? Let's celebrate. <laughs> I think the perihelion should be the New Year, which is the closest day we are to the sun, which is, and this coordinates with our job. So obviously Adam and I work in wine sales. Um, we work in the wine industry. Our calendar year never ends on the 31st. 
kind of ends whenever our numbers are in. So, you know, it can, it can extend, it can extend just kind of like the Catholic church. We'll just make it work how we want to make it work. But, um, our calendar year ends January 4th, right? I think this year. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Which is a Monday, which is a weird for now, for now, for now. Yeah. Um, but that's the closest day we are to the earth. So maybe that should be the start of the new year. Yeah. Okay. So, so is that intentional on our part where we're doing the new year? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'll ask HR. We'll see. Um, noble. Yeah. So noble. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's, it's the solstice, you know, like that or, or the equinox. I think when you're kind of like half and half, sure. it's a great way. It's a great way to, to start the year. That's what I'm going to, and it's the day, I don't know if you've ever tried this. You can balance an egg on its side. Obviously you can put an egg on its side side, but I mean like on the tippy top. Yeah. On the, yeah, on the equinox, I've done it. I'm sure you can, I don't know if you can do it any other day. I've just only tried it on the equinox. Okay. So, you know, it could, it could happen today. I'm not quite sure, but yeah, I, I won't do that. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to keep it my truth. And the only way to do that is to ignore science and re reason and experimentation and just kind of go with what I know. There you go. I've, it's, uh, science and reason, I'm sure work brilliantly. Unfortunately, I'm, I don't understand them. So I just go with, I wait for someone to tell me that Mercury is in retrograde and that's where I, <laughs> that's where I, I, you know, I put all my, I, I put all my chips. <laughs> I, don't, I, still don't, I, I don't know what that means, by the way. I'm gonna say I, I don't. I don't either. I was just gonna ask you to explain it, so yeah. I won't. So we know, don't throw you I got a couple friends that you know, like, oh, you know, Mercury's in retrograde. It's gonna be a bad week, or it's gonna be a great. Like, I, I don't. I don't know what this means. Uh, but sure. Uh, <laughs> okay. Like, hey, hey look, it's, I'm, I'm not knocking it I, I, either. I, I, I just, I don't know. Um, I'm just over here with my my bubbles. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm a water sign, so I don't really. I wouldn't really know. I don't, I don't even know what that means, honestly. It's, Apparently, I'm Aquarius, and I throw off Gemini vibes, according to my daughter. That's if, brilliant. <laughs> if anybody can explain to me what that is, I would really, I would really appreciate that. Uh, again, I can't help you with that one. So, um, you know, other than sparkling waters. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things you like to celebrate? It's so I don't I don't discriminate. I mean, I love bubbles, right? So I'm going to use bubbles often because it's one of my it is my favorite thing to, to to drink. But it it really can be anything. So when I um when I got married, we had a very small uh, wedding party. There weren't a lot of us. And one of the benefits of that was I didn't have to, and my in-laws didn't, or my parents, like the, 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 everyone involved in kind of helping pay for the wedding uh, did not have to pay for an additional 100 people to eat. There were 14 of us, so we drank better wine. You know, uh, I drank... Uh, you know, single vineyard Barolo, and I splurged myself on a, a Chateau Aubryon for my, my wedding day. Um, nice. Yeah, you know, uh, those are, were those the best wines I've ever drank in my life? Technically, maybe not, but the fun <sighs> memory I have with them for that day is like, puts them right up there, right? Uh, it's a, uh, and again, it's the it's the emotional experience, right? Yeah. It's not just the it's not just the wine; it's also the experience you're having with it. So, it really depends on what we're doing. You know, the re one of the reasons I splurged on those was we were having a uh, it was basically at a, a steakhouse was where we were having, you know, our, our reception for all intents and purposes. So, big wine made sense. You know, if we were someplace else, I probably I might have gone with. Expen you know, if it was oysters and, you know, seafood, I might have gone with expensive champagne and, and white burgundy instead or something like that. Uh, it's, it's, to me, it's more about what, what are you, what are you doing? Who are you celebrating with? What are they into? Uh, there's so many factors that I kind of look at. Yeah. Because 
I said this before, you can, if you're at a, if you're at a, a birthday party or a Christmas party or a New Year's or, or whatnot, and there's a, you know, it's, it's a friend or a relative, someone's going to hand you a glass of wine. You're not going to know what's in that glass. It could be high-end wine. It could be, uh, you know, it could be Franzi Chablis. You have no idea what it's going to be, but if you're having a good time and you're not paying attention, you're going to be like, hey, this is pretty good. What is this? And then be shocked to find out that it's two buck shock or whatever it is now. Three <laughs> because it's not, it's the totality of the experience, not the, the bottle doesn't make the evening, right? Like it's, it's the, it's everything. It's the people, it's the, it's the company, it's everything combined. I, I would say a bottle of Chateau Priol would, would, could make. Well, it can help, make, Yes. So for those of you that don't know, this is one of the, what they call one of the um, first growth wines of Bordeaux that was created in 1855 by Napoleon, uh, Napoleon III, um, whose wife, uh, Maria Alejandro Montejo, uh, has a wine that we sell called Finca Lambertries. Um, and basically he had this big, huge celebration, and that celebration, uh, kind of like an expo, exposition, uh, French, the French economy was was somewhat uh, deflating, and the French morale was pretty low. And so we wanted to have some something that would make people excited about things that are France French. And so we had a bunch of uh, vintners from the Bordeaux region. Uh, anyone who wanted to send, I think it was like five or six cases of wine, free wine, um, to have it tasted by this panel, sent it up. But they only asked people in what's called the left bank of Bordeaux, which is separated on the, basically the part that's separated by the um, Grilled River and the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, these are all the Cabernet-based wines, and one of those was a wine called Chateau Brion. Now, that's unique for a couple of reasons. First of all, it is technically not within an area called the Medoc. It's a little further south in a place called Graves. Um, but it was kind of, they allowed it to, to, to be part of this competition and end up you know, winning. Uh, but it's also a wine that Thomas Jefferson loved. He, that's like, it was his favorite wine was Chateau Brion. Um, he always wanted the United States to be a wine culture and a wine drinking nation. We finally are, you know, kind of made it there, but, but that wine is, that's a special, I've only had it once. Yeah. I splurged. And it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. I splurged. Yeah. So it's funny you were drinking. Um, you were drinking uh, single vineyard Barolo. Yeah. Uh, so Barolo, the main the you know, village in Piemonte, the main varietal Nebbiolo. I had a Nebbiolo at our wedding. We were in Mexico um, on the beach, and it was a Barolo from uh, Valle de Guadalupe, which is basically right outside of Ensenada, Mexico. And there's a ton of Italian varietals there. It's really crazy. Uh, but that's what we drained that with a Chenin Blanc. And we actually, um, my wife's grandmother splurged, or not grandmother, great aunt splurged for some really nice champagne for us, which we got to have, which is great. But um, the Nebbiolo was amazing. And that whole trip, you know, we basically did a road trip um, from this beach we used to go to when I was a kid. And in the background, we got married on the beach, and it was this mountain called Tatakawi, which I think loosely translates to goat tits uh, because if you look at it, it looks like goat's udders upside down um, or so the Spaniards thought. And um, so we got married there on the beach. It's actually a sacred area for the, for the Yaki Indians. They call it the belly button of the world. And then we did a road trip right up along the western coast of Mexico from um, Sonora all the way down to Sinaloa to the village of, or to the village, the town of Mazatlan. And um, there was some great, great Mexican wine. And for me, that's always kind of this, this sense of celebration because we were celebrating that entire week. Um, I had the best Merlot at the steakhouse in the small little sleepy village called Alamos, which is nestled up in the, in the mountains. And it used to be the capital of Sonora, which is the, the state my mother is from. Now it's Hermosillo, but it was the silver mining capital. And it was super provincial, like 
just one of the most beautiful places. We were sitting in this courtyard and had a kick-ass steak and a kick-ass bottle of wine. Um, and I've been trying to find this producer ever since because sometimes, like to the, you, your point too, it's, it could be Franzia, it could be, it could be Oprion, it could be Bodega uh, Santo Tomas or, or whatever. And it's that moment that you really remember. But I still remember how that wine tasted. I could still taste it, you know, uh, which is which is pretty pretty awesome. You know, usually for for me when we have friends over, um, our friends don't necessarily drink as much wine. Like you know, we have some friends that are beer drinkers, they like cider. So for me, it's great because I can honestly pick what I want, like I did on Thanksgiving, and drink the entire bottle of Storm Pinot Noir by myself. <laughs> uh, not the best idea, but but it tasted really really great. But if you uh, just a little kind of hidden trick that I, I do sometimes. If you have those friends that you want to have that really nice special bottle, and it's nothing against you know, our friends that don't think about wine like like we do, um, or like you know somebody listening might have a nice special bottle in the kitchen, have something really good for everybody else, and I just excuse myself and pour myself some of the nice wine. I'll give my wife some of the nice wine. If there's a friend that's there that that they don't have to know wine the way that, that, that I do, the way that we do, but if they're just interested and they care about it, they want to hear the story, I'm absolutely going to share that. But if, if you're just going to drink it fast or put ice cubes in it, then I probably, not to be a snob, I probably won't. I'll give you something that's nice, that I enjoy, that you're going to enjoy, you know, but special wines should be things to, to, to kind of think about, like Oprion, uh, because that's, history but it's also tied into an important memory as well and i don't want to share that with everybody <laughs> it's true it is interesting though when you do sometimes you do share those with people who aren't wine people and that's you give them their moment of the, the revelation happens then you know i uh it wasn't a super expensive bottle but the the one of the bottles that got me into wine was uh, Tandem Peloton, which is... Oh, this is the hedonistic little yeah. things. Yeah. So, um, you know, this massive, massive Pinot with probably some Syrah blended into it. And when I say probably, it's... I haven't seen the tech sheet, but it was there. Um, but, like, it, it, that bottle was the moment for now i want to say that probably retailed for 35 bucks 40 bucks something you know somewhere in that range right and i told the friend i was with don't open that i don't like wine like just you know i'll take a corona out of the fridge i'm good and insisted we open it and opened it and then boom there it was it was all it was you know that was one of that was all downhill from there uh <laughs> and, and that and that's cool and you know that was a that was a random Wednesday night. Like I forget what we did. We did something where we worked late, and you know I was able to go and try something. You know, have dinner with them, whatnot. And out of nowhere, hey, I'm going to open this bottle, and, and there it was. So it, you know that was we were celebrating Wednesday. And uh, that that's the thing, too, that I think is really important is we think of celebrations as these very specific moments in time that we have to wait for or we have to wait throughout, throughout the year for, you know, your, a wedding, a graduation, a birthday, a, you know, a Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, name the, name the, the moment, right? Um, why you know like it's if you had a difficult Tuesday and and you made it through and every you know you, you know, every you know everyone's in one piece and happy and whatnot and you want to celebrate the fact that Tuesday is over celebrate the fact that Tuesday is over it's it's totally okay the if you wait for the right moment to open something I don't care if it's a ten dollar bottle or a thousand dollar bottle. You're never gonna open it because it just—it's never—it's never gonna come. It's you gotta find an excuse to to crack that and enjoy it 
in and don't don't wait because it's otherwise it's they're just all going things are going to collect and you're never going to get to it will never live other thing too is it will never live up to the expectation you have for it if you wait for that perfect exact moment because there's no perfect moment there's no something's always going to happen so just celebrate what anything it's okay uh again i i the joke i make is you know we had a instagram post whatever it was a couple weeks ago where said we like to celebrate mondays because why not it's one less day of the week we have to work exactly exactly no and maybe that's why new year's eve you know is such a big celebration because like you said you know tuesday was hard um wednesday might be you know pain in the ass you got a meeting on friday that that you know doesn't go the way you want it to go you know and or or you made it through okay it went better than i thought and you know let me celebrate let me relax um let me let loose a little bit and then have some fun because monday's going to come around and monday's going to be hard <laughs> so enjoy it enjoy it while you can you know and, and maybe that's why at midnight you know everyone loves each other on, on new year's eve and and for at least an hour my bills don't exist um the hangover and the reality is obviously they they still do <laughs> but okay. no i think that's i think that's absolutely true you know and um in finding those those special bottles that become part of that memory um are fantastic one of my favorite wines i've ever had was a bottle of there's a you know, grand cru vineyard in burgundy called richborg and it was a, I had this in 2002, 2003, and it was a fairly young wine. It was a 1998 from, uh, I forgot which member of the Grohl family, but the Grohls are, are this huge family in Burgundy. They're royalty in Burgundy, all located in Von Romane and all located by these Grand Cruz. And uh, an, an example of the Napoleonic law of inheritance Adam talked about in our first podcast, where you got a vineyard, you die, it's split up between your kids, when they die, it's between their kids, and all of a sudden you start with one big vineyard. Now you got like fifteen tiny vineyards, um, but they're just amazing wines. And Richborg is, for me, it's the most iconic wine of Burgundy. I can't afford them anymore because now we're talking, you know, several hundred to several thousand dollars a bottle. But um, I mean, it was just a Sunday afternoon, and let's let's open this. And it was amazing. I mean, I have a bottle of Eschazo ground crew downstairs that I might do that actually with. There you go. Yeah. Or some Corton. Some court, I have some 2014 Corton from Bichot I'm picking up today. So I might, there I, you might go. I might pop one of those open. Um, and it doesn't have to be like super high end either. I mean, the LVE for me is just such a fun yeah. party wine. It's a great charcuterie wine. Um, it is super enjoyable. It is inexpensive. And so if I'm having a party, I can buy several bottles and not worry about it. And everybody's going to be happy, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that in and of itself is, is worth a celebration to have a moment when everyone's happy. I have two kids and, and they're never happy. Um, <laughs> well, they, they are, but just not at the same time. They take turns. So we just, we just got a dog. We don't have a name for the dog yet. We're trying to we're fighting over the name um and nobody wants the name they didn't pick you know or everyone likes one name but one person and they don't just not like that name it's almost like they will never pet the dog if that's the dog's name and so we gotta find that that happy that happy medium and when we find it i'm gonna open up something nice and celebrate that's, that's my awesome. plan <laughs> that's my plan with your dog. that's right that's awesome yeah yeah exactly that's we'll go awesome. out and, you know it might be um Boone's farm. I don't really care. You know, it's as long as he has a name, I don't have to call him him anymore. I, I mean, I, I could call him. I could call him him, but have it like a religious thing. You know, that's true. The holidays. And probably won't do that though. I've had plenty an evening where uh, I've opened a bottle of wine and the dog has just come over and plopped down and. You know, she did not imbibe it with me, obviously, but you know, I shared a bottle of wine with my dog. Yeah. Those are excellent moments. <laughs> because people are terrible and dogs are awesome. Yeah, I will, I, will, I will drink to that. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I, um, I mean, what else can we say about celebrating and celebration? And just continue to do it. Don't stop doing it. It's important. Celebrate little things, big things. And the you know the one we talk about you know why why New Year's and and so on. Forget the date, but there's a. Um, I'm a total geek. If, I, if you haven't figured it, it out yet, completely. Um, and there is a. This has been expressed in multiple different mediums, but the one where it most resonated to me, I read uh, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time, because again, I'm not just a wine geek, I'm a fantasy geek, I'm a sci-fi geek, I'm an everything, I'm just a nerd, all around, well-rounded nerd. And there's a moment to make a, to not go into the entire, um, you know, mythology of the Wheel of Time, which would be, the, which is a, you know, a five-year podcast to do, right? Well, you know, every day. Um, there's a moment where the, the main character has this chance to basically destroy everything. Like he's the, his lowest point and he can just destroy the world. And he's hearing voices in his head and he asks the question, you know, why, why do we keep doing this? And the voice in his head says, because there's another chance to get it right. And that that's why I think New Year's is so powerful for so many people and, and is a wonderful reason to celebrate and so on. It's, it's another, it's another, whatever you did and whatever you've been doing, whether you're judging yourself or you feel you're doing the wrong thing or we, we all make mistakes. Um, we continuously have the ability to get better and improve and be better people and, and, and so on. It's never, um, you can always change your story until it's over. Right, and I think New Year's is the 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 celebration of the fact that here's a chance for all of us to to start again. Which is why, for that ten minutes, everyone is you know seems happy and getting along and, and whatnot. Is that's the right, we 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 can try again now and get this right this time. And that's just a beautiful sentiment. That it's not yeah. the last five minutes. Yeah, they they were what they were, but you can change it and make it better going forward. No, oh, I agree. I mean, we're we we are disasters. And we're also miracles. Yeah. Yeah. Always. So, yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, I, I do have a, a New Year's resolution um, that I'm going to really work at. I don't know if I'll do it. I'll really work at. And, and I think it will actually tie into our next podcast. Oh, do tell. Um, I think that I am going to really work at being more objective towards the things or the wines I'm unfamiliar with or, or less, less opinionated about those. Um, and, you know, I feel like we have what well, we are going to have um we like french wine adam likes french wine i like french wine we do we do yeah surprise surprise we sparklingly both pick france we always pick france um sorry about uh defeating you uh the other night by the way at the dinner yeah you like wine. the entire podcast but you bring it up and then you had to go say <laughs> really um but where was i going with this i don't know oh yeah so you know you're right what could make us like, and not, not that we don't like wines from California, we both do, but what, what would make us be more open to talking about them regularly? And I think I don't talk about them often because I don't really know them. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind so, of leading, I'm kind of leading you here a little bit. I mean, I think we, what, what we really need is someone who should have a French bias, you know, uh, 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 you know, for some reason, or at least from our, for our perspective, should be biased toward French wines, who has really embraced the wines that we don't typically talk about. We should find someone who maybe has gone on that journey to convince us that we're, we're missing out. You know, I happen to know for a fact that the guy who helped make this wine with John Legend, um, has heard of our podcast 
So we are going to have uh, Jean-Charles Boisset on our show in a couple weeks. Um, it'll be probably, I think, well, he's, we're going to record with him on the 14th. So I might, maybe we'll drag that one out another ex extra week just so I can do some better editing to my voice and, and really take out all the ums and you knows. And uh, I thought I was better at this one, although I kept on forgetting what I was going to say. It's it's part of our charm. Yeah. You know, your, your, your ums, my my ahs, it just, it's what we do. <laughs> well, I mean, if you put the, the your ahs and my ums, you got rum. And also something fun to celebrate with. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, let's, um, I'll lead us out with something that I think is is quite appropriate. And uh, if I can find it here, hold on. Um, so there's a song we always listen to, which basically translates to kind of like Once Upon a Time. Mm -hmm. And, but I want to also lead out with a little bit of Duke Ellington because it's always a bittersweet celebration sound to me. Until, um, until next time, everyone. Happy Solstice, Happy New Year's, Happy Chinese New Year's, Happy Annunciation Day, um, you know, if that's what you celebrate. There you go. Well, I'm sure we missed something there, but that's okay. Whatever it is, enjoy it. Yeah. Kwanzaa, Related Hanukkah, Bali, Christmas, eat everything, and just celebrate. So it's a mistake not to.